good worship, huh? You notice it's always better when Laura's up here beside Stu. <laughs> you know? Amen. I'm glad you guys are here this morning. I want to I invite you this morning to take your Bible, and I want you to go with me to an incredible chapter in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 14, okay? Romans chapter 14, and we're going to actually look at the whole chapter. Uh, I promise you, you'll get out before the roast burns, but we're actually going to try to tackle the whole chapter this morning. If you were with us last week, we uh, looked at a passage of Scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, and it was a chapter that, that dealt on the subject of Christian liberty and what Christian liberty really means. Uh, if you were here, uh, if you weren't here, let me just share with you that uh, when Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, the church was a fairly young church. They were having trouble getting their head around what this Christian life was all about. We all do. Some of us have been saved a long time. We're still trying to figure it out. But Paul, as he, as he dealt with the church, he had to deal with this issue of what is it, does it really mean to be free in Christ? They were struggling with meat that had been offered to idols. They didn't know what to do with the leftover portions. Paul said, in reality, there's no such thing as an idol. So Paul says, since there's no such thing as an idol, there's no such thing as a sacrifice. And if there's no such thing as an idol, and if there's no such thing as a sacrifice, then there's no such thing as meat that would be offered to idols. So therefore, eat the meat, barbecue it, you know, put some sassy joes on it, do, do whatever you want to do, okay? Paul said there's no such thing. Enjoy it, eat up, have a good time. However, he qualifies it. He says, however, if in the eating a brother or a sister, especially a young brother or a young sister, maybe a, a new brother or a new sister, if in the eating they're offended with your liberty, then your liberty should give way to love and your liberty should give way to the building up of the brother or the sister in Christ. Therefore, don't eat. Now, what I shared with you last week, the, the, the whole sermon in a nutshell, was this. Liberty in Christ is not a right that you can insist on. Liberty in Christ is a privilege for you to reject your own ideas, your own thoughts, your own desires, perhaps. You see, liberty is not a right to do something. Liberty is a privilege not to do something. And beloved, I believe that's very, very important in God's church today. Now, in our passage today in Romans 14, Paul kind of deals with the same issue. He, he tackles it in a different direction, brings out some different things, but basically it's kind of the same thing. They were struggling with special diets. Have you ever seen a special diet? There's nothing good about a diet, and there's nothing special, but they were wrestling through the eating of certain foods, okay? 
They were wrestling through also special days. What do you do about the eating? What do you do about the days? And so Paul brings them together. He writes them a letter. He gives some instructions to it that we want to deal with today. But there's one thing, well, there's several things he does different. One thing he, he really does different is he lets them know that there is coming a day when every believer, every disciple of Christ, every follower of the Lord Jesus Christ will stand before the Master and give an account of their life. And dear, dear church, let me, uh, let me say this to you, each of you this morning. One of the things that, 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 that I, as your pastor, and Don, as your pastor, Mark, and, and, and all of us as your pastors, are acutely aware of, is that there's going to become a day that, that, that I, as the lead pastor, I'm going to stand before the Master. And nobody's going to stand with me on that day. Uh, there won't be any deacons beside me. That may be a blessing. I'm teasing. But on that great day, when I stand before the king, before the master, I'm going to have to give an account for how we did church. And I want you to know that I'm acutely aware of that. And in everything we do, every song, Stu, that we sing, every lesson we teach, every sermon we preach, every trip we go on, I know that I alone will stand and give an account. And what I also want you to know is while there will be a moment for Tom to stand, there's going to be a moment that each of you that have been saved by grace will have to stand as well. And Paul's trying to indelibly write that into their heart, that every Christian must give an account of their life. And it's put in the context of chapter 14, which is an incredible chapter that deals with relationship and interpersonal relationships. And Paul deals with an issue here that gang, every one of us ish, uh, struggles with at different times. And that is judging other believers. That's an incredible challenge to all of us. I want you to know it's a challenge for me. And I believe it's a challenge for you. That Paul addresses the issue that you and I, as followers of Christ don't have the right to judge the actions of another believer, nor do we have the right to judge the attitudes of another believer. And in a sense, what I feel Paul saying is, hey, you got enough to take care of your own life. You can't even figure out your own life. What right do you have to figure out somebody else's life? especially if that somebody else is a new believer and young in the Lord. I believe I have a message for us today from the Lord Jesus to his church.
Would you stand in honor of God's Word? I want us to read together the, the, the entire chapter of Romans, chapter 14, long chapter, but we'll try to unpack it as we can, okay? Verse 1, now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. That's very important. I'll come back to that. One person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. Think about it. Who in the world would eat just broccoli or spinach? You know, that don't even make sense. Obviously, they're not saved. Uh, verse 3, the one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat. And the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand. Why? Because the Lord is able to make him stand. One person regards one day above another, another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it for the Lord. He who eats does so for the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who eats not, for the Lord does not eat and give thanks to God. Verse 7 and 8, very critical. For no, not one of us lives for himself, and not one dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that I, he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. But you, why do you judge your brother? Or again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Let me stop. This is not the great white throne of judgment where lost people will stand to give an account of their sin and be rejected by God and cast into the lake of fire. This is the bema, the judgment seat, where all Christians will stand, not in judgment of their sin, but in judgment of how they lived their life in the body of Christ. Okay? Verse 11. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord... Every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. I, I've been wanting to stand before him and give an account of some other people, right? But it's ourselves. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this. Not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. I, I know and am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. But to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. For if because of food your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. Therefore do not let what is for you a good thing be spoken of as evil because the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but it's righteousness and it's peace and it's joy. Notice in the Holy Spirit, that's where that virtues come from. It doesn't come from you or your temperament or your personality. It has to come from the Holy Spirit and you have to discern that. Verse 18, 
For he who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are clean, but they are evil for the man who eats and gives offense. It is good not to eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything by which your brother stumbles. The faith which you have have as your own conviction before God. Happy, happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves, but he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because his eating is not from faith. And then here's this phrase that you've probably heard preachers say for years and years, and whatever is not from faith is sin. Father, I, I, I appreciate this chapter. It's a chapter that speaks directly to each of us here this morning. It speaks directly to our church, to every church. And God, I pray this morning, I, I believe God, I got what you wanted me to get. But Lord, from here getting it out sometimes is a little challenging. I know your spirit must do it. So I submit right now my life as best I know how to your Holy Spirit to take this message and hopefully anoint the message, but also, Father, to anoint the ears of those who are listening so that what they hear today won't be from a preacher, but it'll be from the Holy Spirit of God. And therefore, if that happens, we're going to be better in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, thanks. Be seated. Keep your Bible open. we got a lot of looking to do in the chapter, okay? I wanted to ask you as we begin, did you get a catch or did you catch hold of, of how Paul's going to deal with this thorny issue? Six times in the verses we read, we read, beloved, six times in the chapter that we read, Paul mentions the word judge. And basically his general admonition to God's people, the general admonition to the church today is, who are you to judge a brother? Who do you think you are to judge a sister? What right do you have to throw your stones and your opinions and your ideas and your philosophy at another brother or sister? Now, beloved, there's a lot of ways we can deal with this chapter. If someone different was up here, they'd have different points, do different things. There's a lot of things here, okay? We could probably spend several weeks here. But over the course of the last three or four weeks, as I kind of chewed through it and worked through it and kind of did my work through it, two things really stood out to me. And my thought was, Tom, while there is a lot of things here, if you can get, if you can help your people get around these two things, then Tom, you're going to be a better Christian. You're going to be a better disciple. And your people will be better disciples as well. First of all, here's what he said to my heart. Do not judge love. And I want to talk to you about that. He says, who are you to judge? Don't judge love. Okay? That's a whole lot better. The second thing he spoke to my heart about, and I want to share with you, is this. 
do not hinder honor. If I'm going to be the Christian that I should be, then I'm going to limit the judging. And I say limit because it's hard for all of us. Ideally, we should never do it. But I'm going to limit it as much as I can in my growth as a Christian and love more and more and more. And the second thing, I'm not going to hinder a brother or a sister with some of my ideas or my opinions or our church rules or whatever it may be. I'm going to honor them and I'm going to encourage them and I'm going to build them up in the faith as they grow in the Lord. Let's talk about those for a moment, okay? First of all, do not judge love. Notice verse 1, okay? Look at verse 1 with me because there's two words in verse 1 that I believe are very important. The first word is the word accept. Do you see that? Your translation may have... Re- How many of your translation says receive? Is that NIV? King James, okay? I was going to say get you a real Bible, but King James is... A, that's what Paul used, okay? It's the word accept or the word receive. Now, it's, it has the force of a command, so it's not optional. It's in the present tense, which means it's something you do over and over and over. It never ends. You continually receive without stopping the brother or the sister from a word which means to, to pull together or to pull toward yourself. You ever seen a, a mother with a newborn baby? You ever seen that? You know, they take the baby and they cradle the baby in their arms and they draw the baby to their breast. That's the idea that Paul is painting here. Here's the picture. It's a a precious picture of one believer to another that instead of judging, we're drawing that brother, we're drawing that sister in close to us. Hey, they're just trying to figure it all out. They don't need sermons necessarily. They need edification. They need love. The second word is the word opinion, okay? Now, the word opinion means to talk through or discuss. Now, now listen to me. That word does not, it has no connotation to agreement. It doesn't mean that, that if we're discussing something or if we're talking through something that we're going to necessarily agree with that. But it means we're going to allow ourselves to talk through it. And the whole time we're drawing the other person, the other Christian, toward us so that we might edify and love. Listen, we don't have to. We're Baptists. only thing we agree on is fried chicken. Isn't that right? We don't have to agree on everything. But we have the privilege of talking about it, discussing it, and we have the privilege of doing that by not judging. Now listen to me, Paul, Paul's not talking about clear issues, black and white issues. He's talking about gray areas just like we talked about last week. He's not addressing clear doctrines. He's not talking about points of theology. He's referring to areas where, where the Christian life might be in a little bit of conflict, that where there's differing ideas or, or differing opinions. Actually, he's talking about issue in 1 Corinthians 8 and here in Romans 14. He's talking about issue that has no gospel impact at all. They're just opinions. That's all. Nothing wrong with opinions, but that's all they are. They're just opinions. 
And he wants them to know and he wants us to know if our opinions impede the gospel of Jesus Christ, that it impinges upon the glory of God. And if it impinges upon the glory of God, we have no right to insist on our way and we need to let it go. All people, listen to me. It's easy for us to try and and, and justify ourselves. It's easy for us to judge other opinions and hearts. But the problem is, you can't. You know why? Because you can't even figure out your own heart. How in the world can you figure out anybody else's heart? The Bible says the heart is, is, is deceitfully, desperately wicked. Beyond all measure, who can even know it? What right do I have to try to figure out Stu's heart when I can't even figure out my own heart? See? And that's the issue, that's the principle that Paul is talking about here to the church at Rome. So he says, accept everyone, judge no one. And like I said, that's hard for us. Perspectives are different. Pride can grab us quickly. You have to use some patience. Priority is God. Let me give you a couple illustrations, perhaps a couple stories. I know you've heard me say that, that uh, one of the greatest English Baptist preachers that ever lived was Charles Spurgeon. You've heard of Spurgeon, right? Charles Spurgeon was probably the, the top dog in his day. Spurgeon had a friend who, maybe not quite as well known, but certainly in his era, a contemporary of Spurgeon, a guy named Joseph Parker, Okay. Both of these guys were mighty men of God. Both of these guys were mightily used by God. And they were good friends. They would meet together, fellowship together, and, and uh, eat meat together, you know. Not break bed, break, break meat together, you know. They had fun. But there came a contention between them. Spurgeon found out that Joseph Parker liked the theater. And he thought that was bad. He thought that was ungodly. He thought that Christians shouldn't go to the theater. Now, what's interesting about Charles Spurgeon was he was known for two things. He was known, first of all, for delivering great sermons. And secondly, he was known as a famous cigar smoker. Do you you catch the drift of this? He was slamming Parker for going to the theater with a stogie in his hand. That's kind of what Paul is talking about here. Let me give you another example. Many years ago, there was a great Presbyterian preacher by the name of Donald Gray Barnhouse. Man, a great man of God, a great 10th Street Presbyterian, one of the great churches of the Northeast, and just a wonderful guy. And he was sitting with some guys, and they were lamb-blasting some preachers. Yes, preachers get together and talk about other preachers. You know, we're no different than the rest of you guys. And so they were sitting around talking and lamb-blasting other preachers and slamming other preachers. And so Donald Gray Barnhouse said, guys, I want to tell you something. He said, I know a guy who uh, went through seminary, was ordained to the ministry, and yet the guy very seldom ever preached, very seldom ever went to church, never went to church on Wednesday night prayer meeting. In fact... He was so out of the loop that other preachers just really castigated him. They thought he had some questionable habits. 
He never went to church. He spent all of his time in the library. And all the preachers were blasting him and said, first of all, he's unfit for the ministry. Number two, in all likelihood, he's not even a Christian. And so he told them that story, and they talked for a while, and he said, hey, guys, let me ask you a question. When you get ready to study for a lesson or to get ready to study for a sermon, what's the first tool you grab to prepare your sermon? And all of them said, man, we grab Strong's Exhaustive Concordance. Now, if you don't know anything about Strong's Concordance, Strong's Concordance is a, is a concordance of the Bible where every word in the Bible is giving a number. And so if you want to know what the definition is, you type in or you look up the number, and it gives you the definition. I, there's not a sermon that doesn't go by that I don't look at Strong's number and go to the, of course, we get the computers now, and look up and see what the definition is. I've used some of it already this morning. And they all said the best by far, the thing we can't live without is the Strong's exhaustive concordance. And then, he, of course, he had him. He sucked him in. And he said, hey, guess what? The guy that I was telling you about, that all the preachers disliked, said he wasn't even fit to be in measure, probably wasn't a Christian. It was James Strong. For 20 years, the guy labored in a library, putting numbers to words and looking up definitions so that dummies like I can cheat and get sermons from. Now, do you understand what Paul is trying to to say, don't judge. You don't have the right. Love, you don't know what God is doing in the life of other people. You don't know where they are. Your opinions are yours. Mine is mine. And let me tell you, God's not impressed with either. Yeah, you got an opinion. I got one, but I want to tell you, God's not impressed with our... God's not impressed with us. God is impressed with himself. God gives glory to nobody. He's a jealous God. Would you allow me, Father, to say you're a selfish God? Because you're not going to share it with anybody. He doesn't have to. He don't care about our preaching escapades or our teaching escapades. He cares about our love. And that's what Paul First of all, let's try and say to the church. Okay, second, look at verse 13. There's a lot more in verse 12. Verse, verse 13, he, he says something else. Therefore, do not, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or stumbling block before others. The context here, remember, has to do with non-gospel areas. Remember I told you they were struggling with diets and days. Uh, we have our own issues. Principles are the same, the, the whole thing. And, and basically what he says, verse 13 and following, he says, we should never be the cause for another believer to fall. Okay? In fact, in verse 19, he says some, he says some things that I, I kind of wanted to bring out last week. We ran out of time. He said the one responsibility we have in our interpersonal relationships to other Christians is to edify. Remember that term last week? To build up the brother? To build a house, the word means? We may have other opinions. We may have other perspectives. But it means we're to encourage and build up that house. We tend to preach at others. Share with them our God-given ideas that we know are directly from the Holy Spirit instead of building them up. 
in the faith and encouraging them. Listen, I know that Indian Springs is different than, than a lot of other churches. But that doesn't mean we're right. And it doesn't mean that they're wrong. It just means we're different, you know? It means that for some reason the DNA of our group is a little different than the DNA of any other group. And it doesn't mean right or wrong. It doesn't mean we got it down pat. I can tell you, folks, I'm your pastor. We ain't got nothing down right, you know. We're just trying to meander through until Jesus comes and gets us out, you know. And so that's Paul talking to the church, okay. Now, let me give you, in verse 13, there's a couple words here that, that are pretty important. There's the word obstacle that we need to talk about for a moment. And then there were, is the word stumbling block, okay. Now, the word obstacle means to stub the toe. And the idea is to carelessly leave something out so that someone would stumble over. Have you ever, if you ever got up in the middle of the night and the kids had not grown up and left, and so you get up in the middle of the night, you hear something, and you get up in the middle of the night and you stub your toe on a toy. You ever done that? Derek, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, amen. See? That's what this word kind of pictures for us. We should not carelessly leave something out or leave something in the way of a brother or a sister who might stub their toe over. The word stumbling block is actually, it's stumbling block, it's one word, it means to trap, and it means to purposely stick out your foot. So let me tell you what Paul's saying to us. He says both are bad. He's saying to us, we better be real careful when we carelessly do things or when we purposely do things. We need to be very careful how we think. We need to be very careful how we act as believers. We're all in different levels of maturity. We view the Christian life from different perspectives. We enter our life with Christ from different backgrounds. We're all carrying baggage, you see. Sometimes we say we're all driven by our different demons. There's always things going on. I don't know where some of you are at. I heard this morning a testimony from a lady and, 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 and I've never heard anything quite exactly like that. It was different than anything I or anybody I ever knew, you see. And so we have to be careful when we talk with and think about and have opinions of others so we don't make them stumble or stub their toe. And he says, if you hurt a brother, you're no longer walking according to love. And he says you can destroy, and that doesn't mean literally destroy, but it means you can spiritually, emotionally, whatever, destroy that brother or sister for whom Christ bled and died. See. He goes on to say in one of those verses, that's not what the kingdom of God is all about anyway. It's not about eating or drinking. You know, and of course, we don't have the, or we have other issues. It's not about going to the movies or not going to the movies or dancing or what's today. What's, what, do you, what do you young folks struggle with today? better not be smoking pot or you're going to be in trouble. We have our own issues, do we not? Right? It's not about that. It's not about that at all. It's about righteousness. That simply means right. It's about peace. That's the presence of a person. It's about joy, a contentedness to accept where you're at today and let God deal with tomorrow. And gang, listen, these virtues can't be manufactured inside. 
These virtues come from the Holy Spirit of God working in your life, giving you righteousness and peace and joy. And so Paul says, don't judge love. Don't hinder honor. Now, I think we ought to ask ourselves a question. Why? That's one reason I like studying the Bible, because the Bible tells us things to do, and then the Bible tends to give us the reason why. That's what you parents ought to do with your kids, you know? You just don't say, because I'm your dad. You don't ask it one more time, I'll whoop you. You don't say that. You try to give examples and reasons. And, and so Paul tells us, and I, let me give you some reasons as I begin to draw it all together. Why should we honor? Why should we love? Take your Bible, look at verse 3. The first reason he says we should is because Christ accepts them. And you see that in verse 3, at the end of verse 3? Um, the one who eats for God has accepted him. Why should I not judge? Why should I honor? Because Christ has already accepted them. And listen, if Christ has accepted them, who am I to pass judgment? Who am I to force my opinions. You follow the line? In other words, I would suggest if Christ accepts them and I reject them, should I say more? You might want to look over your shoulder. The Holy Spirit may be galloping up on you. See? How can I reject what God has accepted? That's pretty important, isn't it? Number two, look at verse three, uh, uh, verse four. Not just that Christ has accepted them, but Christ sustains him. Look at the end of verse 4. For the Lord is able to make him stand. It's not your job to prop up somebody. It's not your job to tell everybody how to, how to, how to live the do everything. God can take care of that. Sanctification is not your work. It's a work of the Holy Spirit in your life, dear people. We accept them because God can make them stand. Number three, verse seven and eight, because God controls everything. Christ controls everything. Look, look at those precious words. For no one, for not one of us lives for himself, and not one dies for himself. If we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. Whether we live or die, we're the Lord's. Who's in control here? God is. And if God's in control, who am I to impede? the work of God in their life. Sometimes, guys, you ought to be careful preaching to your wives. Wives, you ought to be careful preaching to your husbands. Now, the preacher should always preach, okay? In fact, it's not talking about that at all. It's not talking about, hopefully, on a Sunday morning, the preacher has done his due diligence and study and preparation and prayer so that when he stands... He stands with the anointing of God and the fullness of the Spirit to speak into your life challenging truths. He's not talking about it. He's talking about interpersonal relationships. God is in control of all these things. And He just allows us. He doesn't have to have us, you see. And then number four, what I alluded to at the beginning, the fourth reason we ought to love people and accept people, honor them, is because Christ is going to judge all believers. Look at verse 10. But you, why do you judge your brother? Or again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? We all stand before the Bema. Look at verse 12. So then let each one of us, so then each one of us will give an account 
of himself to God. And I've already talked about that. One day you will, and he'll ask you how you served and how you lived as a Christian. Okay? Now, let me, let me close with two thoughts. Okay? I want to give you a, 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 some thought, two thoughts for a personal reflection. What I'd like for you to do this week is get alone, sometime in a quiet time um, when you're just alone, and, and, and I want you to look and think about two verses, okay? Look at verse 5 for just a moment, okay? One person regards one day above a, another. Another regards every day alike. Now, notice what he says. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. You see that? That's pretty important. Verse 22 is important. The faith which you have, have as what? Your own conviction before God. Here's my homework assignment, dear people. Number one, be honest. Ask yourself, examine yourself. And be convinced in your own mind where you stand on this issue of judging and opinions. And then verse 22, be honest and be convicted in your own mind where you stand before God on these issues. I want to tell you, verse 5, verse 22 are pretty strategic verses in the flow of this chapter, you see. You need to do some personal examination. I do. I've got to be convinced and I need to be convicted under the leadership of the Holy Spirit where I stand. And so, gang, here's what I think Paul would have you to know when you leave. Don't judge love. Don't hinder honor. And I think that if I would not judge but love, and I think that if I would not hinder but honor, I'd be a whole lot better Tom Williams. And I just imagine you'd be a whole lot better whoever you are. And we would be a whole lot better who we are. And I think God would be happy with that, don't you? Well, let's pray, okay? Let's bow our heads. We're going to have just a time of response. God may have spoken to your heart this morning. Maybe you have a decision you want to make. We're going to have those baptized in just a, a moment or two. But as our team comes to lead us in a time of response, I'd just like for you to maybe do a little soul-searching inside, see where you're at on this area of opinions, judging, all that kind of stuff, and then just be obedient to God, okay? Father... In the precious name of the Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for a chapter that intrudes into our life. It interrupts us where we are. It forces us not to be mundane. It doesn't allow us to float along. It doesn't allow us just to get by. It absolutely charges right into the middle of our head and the middle of our heart. And it forces us to evaluate, perhaps review our walk. Father, this morning perhaps there are some that need to do something publicly. And so whatever that may be, God, this is their moment to be obedient to you. In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand together. Our pastors will be here.
walking in the spirit there's much to be done we will come reaching out from our comforts and they will know us by our love sisters we were made for kindness we can pierce the darkness as he shines through us we will come reaching with the song of healing and they will know us by our love the time is now come church Thanks. Be seated, gang. Guys, why don't you come on down for the offering? We almost forgot the offering. How can we do that? We're Baptists. That's like eating meat. <laughs> Guys, just go ahead and take off. Isn't it good to have young people take an offering? Just don't stick your hand in the plates, guys. We got people, my people's watching you. <laughs> go ahead on, guys. Let me pray for the offering. Father, we love you. Thank you for the privilege of giving. God, give us wisdom as we take your money and invest it. I thank you for these precious ones that will be following you in obedience of baptism. In Christ's name, amen. All right, guys, go ahead if you want. I stand amazed in the
celebrate baptism, uh, celebrate life change, and uh, so uh, glad to have you guys, and, and if you have someone being baptized that you're part of their family, we would invite you to stand as they're baptized. So we're going to do ladies first. Reagan Burns, would you join us? You can give her a hand. Right. Reagan, what grade are you in? Um, second. Second grade, all right. Well, I'm so honored and so privileged to baptize you because of your faith in Jesus Christ. It's my uh, privilege, my honor to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Awesome. All right, Alyssa Hood, you can give Alyssa a hand. What grade are you going? What, are you, what grade are you in? Fourth. Fourth grade. All right. So happy for you and excited for you. And it's my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. All right. We have one more, and his father is going to baptize him. This is uh, this is uh, Calvin Day and Shane. such an honor this morning to baptize my son on this day in August here in 2013. I remember well the day in August of 1980 when my dad baptized me. Uh, my name is Shane Day. I'm a pastor, uh, pastor for 12 years. I preach now whenever I have opportunity, but uh, we named our son Calvin Allen Day after the two men who had the greatest influence on my life, my grandfather, Calvin Eugene Hughes, and my dad, Allen Day. Both were pastors for over 40 years, and both of them are in heaven. And uh, 
I trust that in some way the Lord in his great love and mercy would allow my dad and my grandfather to look down today and see part of the legacy they've left for us as I baptize their grandson and great-grandson. And I just want to ask our family to stand and recognize you. Thank you. And thank you. You may be seated. Calvin, I get to ask you the most important question that anyone can ever ask you. Do you confess Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior? Yes. Amen. In obedience to the command of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, upon your public profession of your faith in him, I baptize you, my brother, Calvin Allen Day, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in the newness of life. Praise the Lord. What a great day as we've seen uh, the, these folks uh, make their public